0: Stand with me for the reading of the Word. The title of the message is The Humility Challenge. I'm going to challenge you today. I hope the Holy Spirit does more challenging than I do with you. But I'm going to challenge you with The Humility Challenge. So in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at chapter 9 as we continue to go through chapter 9. And it says here, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You need a supernatural power to be able to accomplish this one. And if you sit in there and think you don't, boy, you really do. And if you know you do, well, you're probably there already. And you can leave right now and go home. Father, help us, Lord God, to be your humble servants to walk in the way of the cross, to live, Lord God, contrary to the prideful ways of this world. Accomplish your purpose in us today, Lord, I know it will bring you great glory, and it will make our lives, Lord God, incredibly valuable in your hands that we can accomplish your will and make our lives count for things, Lord God, not only in this life, but things that will go into the next life, Lord God, with us. Truly, let us sit at your feet, teach us, Jesus, teach us. And we pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Humility. The virtue of being last. It's kind of offensive, right, to our culture. And it was offensive to the culture in Jesus' time, right? We don't like being last. We like being right. We like being number one, right? Because there's only one number one. We don't like being second. We don't like being third. Humility, it truly can be said, is, is foreign to the fallen DNA nature of each and every one of us. It is something that is really contrary. Humility of heart, of mind, of soul, uh, man, it's something you really have to work out, right? You really have to, have to allow God to work at it in your life. And if you understand humility it's the very foundation of Christianity. You can't be a Christian without it. You can't be saved without humility. You can't you you will never get to heaven without humility. Hell will be filled with prideful people and heaven will be filled with people who were humble. There's no relationship with God without humility. There's no sanctification without humility. There's no being filled with the Holy Spirit without humility. So that's why I I titled this message, The Challenge. It is a challenge. It is a challenge that I am faced with every day, every hour, really, every minute. We, as human beings, right, and you really look at, at fallen human nature... Essentially, it is the continuous worship of self. It lives to please itself. It lives to glorify itself. Its, it's, you know, it's philosophy is me, myself, and I. right? It's, it's my way or the highway. And when it doesn't get its way, it jumps up and down like a little child who doesn't get its way. It pouts, uh, it sulks, it complains... The fallen human nature of pride. And even in the church. Even in the church. And I've been doing this for 40 years and I can tell you, even in the church. Why are you here this morning? Because I bet you a whole lot of you here this morning are just here to get. Right? You're here to get. You're here to get something. You're here seeking fulfillment or you're here seeking peace but you're looking to get something out of this service look at most preachers you watch them on TV they're like peacocks they strut they strut across their platforms they just are ever you know just spreading out their feathers Their ministries are to the glory of themselves. They seek the applause of men. They build cathedrals to their own glory. I want to tell you, today in America, Christianity is human-centered. It's not Christ-centered. Just look at the books. Look at the books by the the top-selling Christian authors. Look at their titles. You don't even need to go inside and read them. But but they are extremely human-centered. It's about self-fulfillment. It's about self-actualization. It's about essentially people, and think of this, being spectators instead of being servants. And I've seen that. So this thing... Cold humility, right? And we're challenged to live a humble life, but yet we're confronted continuously with pride. You know what pride is? Pride is, I'm better than you, and you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and and I want to tell you I am. At something, And I can guarantee that every one of you and you and you are better than me at something. I might be a better communicator than you. I can guarantee that most of you in this church are better spellers than me. (laughs) Right, (laughs) Sue? Thank you, Lord, for spell check. (laughs) Now I don't have to be asking my wife every two minutes when I'm writing something, hey, how do you spell this? How do you spell that? But that's, that's the truth, right? right? I'm, I'm better than you. I know some of you guys, you know, you shave your heads. You kind of want to imitate me. But, <laughs> you know, you, you do that, but you don't have this beautiful shaped head like I have. Well, some of you are laughing kind of sarcastically there. And I'm, I'm better than you because I drive a better car than you drive or I live in a nicer house than you live in or I make more money than you have I have more education than you have it's just pride, it's sickness because, because just as you're exalting yourself over someone else they have things in their life that they could be exalting themselves over you for and you know where essentially where pride comes from pride, pride and Penny Reed said this pride is just another word for insecurity and fear The the most prideful people are incredibly insecure people. Look at most politicians. They're just incredibly insecure. So what they do is they're constantly tearing down everyone around them to exalt themselves. And it flows from their own insecurity. Let me tell you how wonderful I am. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you about my accomplishments you know, impress me. Oh, please impress me. Impress me. So here's this, this again, this, this fallen human nature, this flesh that we're still all carrying within ourselves, <clears throat> and the challenge. Ephesians one, walk with all humility. Colossians 3.12, put on a heart of humility. James 4.6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that is a challenge. And just when you think you got it, right, <laughs> just when you think you're humble, you have to go back to square one and start all over again. And we said, humility is like a watermelon pit. You know when you drop a watermelon pit? Every time you think you got it right, it squeezes out of your fingers, right? And that's exactly what I find humility is like. Just when I start to think, hey, you're kinda humble, man. It's like all of a sudden it's gone. (laughs) Let me say let me say one thing before I go into my points this morning. If you really understand humility, Romans twelve three, it says this, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment. When somebody, is, when somebody is not sober, some of you police officers here, if you've ever, some of you guys bounced in bars, you know, when people would get drunk, they get what's called beer muscles. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you get this guy, he's sitting there, he's 160 pounds, and he's, he, he thinks he can beat up every guy in the bar. And there's this guy at the end of the bar who's six foot six, 350 pounds, and he wrestles alligators, and he's going to go over and pick a fight with him. Beer muscles. I used to deal with people with beer muscles every night. Well, there's, there's also brain muscles. When people, when people are, are filled with pride, they get brain muscles and they think they know it all. They think they know everything, and there's, there's nothing more for them to know, brain, you know, brain muscles, and they're not, they're not sober. So it says here, think of yourself with sober judgment. So you know what that means? The word is, is sophinio, and it means think with right judgment. So essentially, humility is not walking around thinking you're less than you are, and it's also not thinking more than you are. So it's not walking around with an inferiority complex saying, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. Like there are things that I am very good at. There are gifts that God has given me. There are gifts that I have developed in my life. And I'm very good at them. They, they, they're very productive and they produce fruit in my life. But then there are things that I am really terrible at. So it's, it's, it's knowing your strengths and knowing your weaknesses as well. And knowing that when you're standing in the presence of God, you're loved, you're valued, but next to God, you're Steve Urkel. <laughs> or you're Pee Wee Herman. Next to God. That's really humility. So let's let's dig in. I'm going to look at um, four key things that are said in our, our passages today. And first is the pattern of humility. The second is the principle of humility. The third is the promise of humility. And the fourth is the person of humility. So the first is, is the pattern of humility. And Jesus gives us that in this context in Mark chapter 9, 30 through 32. And then they departed from there and passed through Galilee and did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise a third day. And then they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. So there, right there is the pattern of humility. What is the pattern of humility? The pattern of humility is the way of the cross. It's the way of humble service. And they didn't get it. The twelve didn't get it. They didn't get it, right? We've been talking about this, right? the transfiguration and coming down and they couldn't cast out the demons and they didn't get the way of the cross because they wanted glory and they didn't understand the sacrifice. They wanted the Messiah who would establish his kingdom and he would rule over the world. He would conquer the Romans. He would shed the enemy's blood. Instead, they got a Messiah who came, right, to be the lamb and they didn't get it, the sacrificial lamb. And that is the way of the cross. In 1 Corinthians one twenty three, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks' foolishness. The way of the cross, this, this way of sacrifice, of humble sacrificial service, right, even, again, even in the church, right, people don't get it. Why? He, he calls us to this life of the way of the cross, you know. See, m- most people in the church again—they are not in the church to live a sacrificial life. They're in the church to get. You don't know just see what people. And this is this is what I have seen in the churches for forty years, and I, for mean, the most part, have been here for thirty years. Is is people come and they shop? They're shopping. Church shoppers. What am I going to get out of this? What are my children going to get out of this? What we want. This is what we want. want this. We want that. And they go to a church. They don't get what they want, and then what do they do? And then they go to another church. And when they go to that church, they don't get what they want, and what do they do? They go to another church. And they go from church to church. We call them church shoppers. And they're searching for something. You know, they're, they're searching for something. There's, something. there's something that they want, and they're not getting it, because you see, it's not about wanting It's about giving. Want and you will receive. That's not what Jesus said. What did he say? He said, right, did did you ever hear that? How did he say that? Give and you shall receive. And they're not getting it because they're all about wanting. They want to be served instead of becoming a servant. So the, the way of the cross, right, this pattern that Jesus gives us, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Greeks. It's just plain old foolishness. But the pattern, but the pattern when grasped is incredibly powerful. There's a number of of philosophies that that I have engaged in and I have followed, right? I put some of these books up. The The Way of the Warrior. Honey, did you ever hear about the way of the warrior? (laughs) The way of the knife. The way of the sword. Way of the gun. They're all philosophies. They're all very similar. They're all about self preservation, about security, about freedom, about strength, about power. I agree, that's something that we get from the scriptures. God has said that we are to be free, to be secure. He offers to us strength. But I want to say all these different philosophies cannot compare even remotely, to the way of the cross. The way of the cross is more powerful than all of them put together. The way of humility, the way of sacrifice, the way of service. Now, If you don't believe that, just, just take a look at history. The greatest warriors, Napoleon, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great. How many people are worshipping them today, this morning, right? How many people are actually worshiping them this morning? And how many billions of people over the last 2,000 years have worshiped the humble carpenter from Nazareth, worshiped and adored and followed him? Why? Because of the way of the cross, this great pattern of humility. Philippians chapter 2, 3, and 4, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Ooh, that doesn't kind of fit into this worldly, fleshy, you know, philosophy of today. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That is the way of the cross. It is the way of humility. Humility. It is the way of humble service. I want to introduce you to someone. Maybe you've seen this guy before. That's Yoda. Yoda Yoda is on my bookshelf directly across from my desk. And um, somebody gave me this 15 years ago. And I put it there. And... As time went on, I began to realize something. You see, I was watching—I have to confess—I've watched. It's not, it's not one of my joys of life, but I have watched some of the Star, Star Wars movie. And I'm watching this that, that 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 famous part where Yoda is training Luke Skywalker to be a Jedi. And um, I sat there and I said, "Wow." You know, sometimes you get you, you, God communicates to you through many different ways. I mean, for the most part, he communicates with the, you know, to me through the word, but he can communicate uh, to you through uh, a movie or a song or a person. And as, I, as I'm looking at this, see, I want to be like Yoda. See, Yoda, Yoda was a Jedi maker. It wasn't about Yoda. It was about him making Luke Skywalker into a Jedi. Now, I, I've come to a place where my purpose in life, I say it, it's to know, to grow, and to sow, to know God and my purpose, to grow as a, as a child of God, and to sow, to sow into the lives of other people. That's, that's kind of the philosophy of Yoda. He just sows and he teaches people how to be Jedi's, he empowers them. He's a Jedi maker. He's not looking to be a Jedi. See, he, he's not, hey, hey, Luke, you know, you're really, you're really bad at this stuff. Look at me, look at what I, look, I could, I could raise a spaceship. That, that's not what he's about. He's about helping other people to maximize their potential. He equips, he empowers others, and he makes others better. That's Luke. He's a Jedi. Philippians chapter um, Two, verses 3 through 8 it goes on to say let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery, or robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found I'm having a problem with this thing today and being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross that is again that is the way of the cross. That is the pattern of humble service. He he demonstrated it at the Last Supper by right, he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. That is the pattern. It's the pattern of the bent knee. It's the pattern of sacrificial service. And then, then at at the end of him doing that, he says this for I have given you an example. I have given you a pattern. That you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now let me let me just ask you this: how many are there in churches that claim the name of Yeshua as their Lord and Savior and miss this example? So many who they come to be served instead of to serve. They come to be spectators instead of to be servants. (laughs) Man comes to me. I I just started the church. We didn't have maybe twenty people, and he comes to me with a shopping list. And he he puts it in my face. He had 13 things that he wanted out of the pastor and the church. And I took it and I crumbled it up and I threw it in the waste paper basket. And I just looked at him and I said, you ain't getting it, pal. You ain't getting it. You're not getting the way of the cross. He joined the church. And then for the next five years he whined and complained about everything and i thought as a young naive pastor i was supposed to put up with that crap and then eventually he left thank god hallelujah let's ha- let's have a praise and thanksgiving <laughs> meeting when they leave like that because it was just i mean he's just eating away at you just just whining and complaining I'm, I'm different than I was then. My time is short. I don't know how much more time I have here. And um, I look to work and pour myself into the lives of people who have taken up their cross and are following him. Not spectators. Not people who are looking just for what they want, but are looking to give and serve. So the first, the first principle there is essentially the pattern, and it's the pattern of the way of the cross, the pattern of humility. Number two is the principle, okay, of humility. So we have the pattern, now we have the principle. And look what Jesus says here. He says, then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you were disputing among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent for... On the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And I just want you to see this. From Caesarea Philippi all the way down to Capernaum is 30 miles. And, you know, the average person walks at a speed of about 3 miles an hour. Though There's a lot of mountains and hills. I'm figuring walking 14 hours, took a couple of breaks, 16 hours. And he's having to listen to these 12 knuckleheads arguing about who's number one. Peter says, I'm number one. You know Peter's saying that, right? I'm number one. I mean, that's just out of his own pride. John is saying, no, I'm number one. He loves me more than he loves the rest of you guys. Nathaniel says, no, I'm number one. He said, I'm a man with with, with just no unrighteousness in me. Thomas is there and he's saying, "I, uh, I doubt he's number one. 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 Philip's got his calculator out and he's trying to figure out if he could be number one. <laughs> Judas is over on the side. He's dipping into the money bag and he's saying, hey, bunch of fools, I am number one. I'm getting more than you guys have. So he, he's, he's listening to them talking about who's number one and then when he confronts them, they all got quiet because they knew his teaching on humility They knew his teaching on the way of the cross. They knew his teaching on being a servant. And he says this to them. If anyone desires to be first. He shall be last of all and a servant of all. The the word first is protos. That means the, the, the number one ruler. If you desire to be the ruler. If you desire to be the leader. Okay. If you have this ambition inside your heart. By the way, there's nothing wrong with the ambition. God is calling some of you men in the church to be pastors. There's nothing wrong with that ambition, that desire. Nothing wrong with, it, with the desire to, to be a leader. God put that in my, put that in my heart early on. But he, sa- but he says, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be a deacon. The word servant there, that's the word deacon. of all, A servant of all. That means essentially, if you desire to be first, what you have to become is a servant leader, and your goal needs to be pushing up people, to be equipping people, to be empowering people. It's not about you, it's about them. That's the the, the word that Jesus is giving to them here. Be a a servant, lay down. Want to be a leader? (laughs) People come to me through the years and say, I want to be an elder, I want to be a deacon, I want to be a pastor. When I went to my pastor, Pastor Rizzo, and I said to him, I want to be a pastor, you know what he said to me? Come here on Saturdays and clean the bathrooms. And I cleaned those bathrooms with a, let me tell you something, those bathrooms were spotless for Sunday service, and I was proud of it. I want to get up and preach. Go clean the bathrooms, go serve. Go show your humility by serving. That's that's how, you know, when when you serve and you go low, that's how God will take you and bring you on high. That's That's what Jesus is saying to the 12 apostles here. Lay down your rights Lay down your entitlements, lay down your time, lay down your gifts, and, and empower others. Now watch, watch what he goes on to say, verse 36 and 37. Then he took a little child and sent him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. What does that mean? Receive, receive everyone as you would a little child. How do you receive a little child? Right, with warmth? I was just walking through. Every morning, Sunday morning, I go through and I hang out a little bit with the kids in the Sunday school and I go up and I give them high fives and I encourage them and build them up. You just, you know, with warmth, with gentleness, with kindness. You don't beat your chest over a little child and say to them, hey guys, Pastor Frank is here. Ain't I something? Do you know who I am? You know, by the way, when somebody says to you, do you know who I am? Say to him, what, did you forget? Do you have amnesia? Do you forget? You forgot. You forgot who you are. You don't lord it over, kid. You don't dominate a kid. You don't show off to little kids. So I take my, my grandson. We play baseball. Um, take him to the baseball field. And I pitch into him. He's got a nice, nice really nice, he's a lefty. He's got a, a nice, nice lefty swing. And um, great, great. He feels, he feels only a six-year-old fielding ground balls, going down, scooping them up, got a great arm. He'll be a good pitcher. Go snag fly balls. He'll actually snag them like this, too. Most kids, it's like... He can get the glove up there and snag it. And i am encouraging him. I don't go there and say, hey, John Carlo, here, pitch one into me. Bang! Hey, look at that! Look what I've done! You don't do that, Right? Hey, Giancarlo, here, take one of my 80-mile-an-hour fastballs. <laughs> I, 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 there's an older woman. This was a couple weeks ago. She's, she walks around the uh, field. It's an 80-year-old lady, nice lady. I always say hello to her. And, I, you know, I'm coaching once. Hey, that was great, a great throw, right? And when I, when I pitch the ball in and, it, you know, he misses it, it's my fault. I missed the bat, right? That's, you know, so it's, you know and... He says, come on, Pa, throw him where I can hit him, right? He's throwing him up high and low. And, and uh, the lady says, she goes, you're a good coach. I said, no, I'm a good grandpa. I'm his pa. But you build him up, right? That's, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. You receive a kid. You, you treat them gently. That's how we're supposed to be treating each other. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. We're supposed to be affirming one another. We're supposed to be exhorting one another to run the race that we're running. That's what the Lord is saying here. Build them up. Build them up. The third, okay, and we have the pattern, the principle, and now the promise. The promise of humility. In Mark 9, 38-41, it says, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Who is this guy? Right, he's, he, he, Jesus sent out the 12. They led a bunch of people right, to the Lord. He sent out the 70. And here's some guy out there who obviously has gotten converted. And he's operating, okay, in the power of the Spirit. As so he says, but Jesus said, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. You know what, you know what that is called? That is Jesus warning us against exclusivity. Uh, exclu- uh, I am a public speaker by, by trade. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. What do you have to do to be a Christian? You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord okay, as God, as your Savior, and you have to believe that he died for you on the cross and was raised from the dead, right? We've covered that in in detail these last months from Mark 9. Now, now that's what you have to do to be a Christian, a true believer. If you haven't, if you haven't, Put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your God and as your Savior. If you do, have not come to the place where you put your faith in him as one who died on the cross, took your place to save you from hell and was raised from the dead, you're, you're not saved. But if you've done that, you're saved. You're a Christian. Now, if you notice something about Christians, there's a lot of different brands. And boy, there's a lot of different styles of gymnastics of worship. And we disagree about a lot of things. Have you noticed that? How shall we be baptized? We we pour, right? We sprinkle. We dunk. And we argue about that. Maybe we should just spray the grass and let people roll in it. Who knows, right? That, right? We, we, we practice communion differently. We only do it once a month on Sunday. There's churches that do it every Sunday. Are we better than them? Or are they better than us? And then there's these these doctrinal issues. You know, you have you have pre-tribulation people and post-tribulation people and mid-tribulation people and amillennial people and post-millennial people, and you look at this, and, and, and I'm better than you because I believe this. Once saved, always saved. That's a huge divider in the church. And you have people on both sides who think they know it all. There will be some surprises in heaven. And so there's all these different things that we, different styles of worship. I've been, I preached in, in many different churches before I started Living Word Community Church and I was in the Pentecostal churches and the charismatic churches and the fundamentalist churches. I was in the churches where they just rang bells for worship in churches with choirs. Preacher would preach in front of a choir, preached in front of choirs. i tell you, I preached in front of a choir once. I said, no, no I'm going to do that again. I turn around, there's people that, right? You just, you'd never preach with a choir behind you. And if it was my church, I would have definitely... uh, (laughs) Different style, different gymnastics. You know what the Lord is saying here? We are not to come to a place where we think we're superior or we think we're better. Because once we come there, let me tell you something. We're in a really bad, dangerous place. If they believe that Jesus... Is their God and their Lord and their Savior and that he died for them on the cross and was raised from the dead? They may have many different minor views. You know what it is? It's the minors. We need to major in the majors and not in the minors, right? They believe in the Trinity. They believe that the Bible is the word of God. They believe Jesus was raised from the dead. They believe in the virgin. They believe in the basics of the faith. But they do some strange things with gifts. They swing from the chandeliers during worship. (laughs) That's why we put them so high, so you can't. <laughs> it's, it's a warning. It's a warning. And then notice just, he says in verse 41, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he would by no means lose his... There's a reward, folks. Living a humble life taking the way of the cross, being a humble servant, there are great rewards. Giving someone just this this humble glass of water in the name of Jesus, on his account, on on his behalf, there is a, a reward. So those of you doing sound today, you shall be rewarded. Those of you behind cameras, you shall be rewarded. Security people, you shall be rewarded. All the workers in the nursery who are in there taking care of your children so you could be in here, you shall be rewarded. All of the Sunday school teachers and assistants and leaders, you shall be rewarded. The greeters, ushers, you shall be rewarded. The people who take care of the money and all the people on staff who work for nothing all week long, they will be rewarded. Deacons, elders, you're investing, and I know you don't do it for that reason, but you're investing in the kingdom of God, and you will be rewarded. It tells us in Luke 14.11 and then again in 18.14 whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted in this life and the next there are rewards James 4.10 humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up John 13.17 if you know these things blessed are you if you do them he washes the disciples feet not blessed are you if you sit there and watch him doing them blessed are you if you get off of your tushy and you get down on your knees and you wash people's feet you will be rewarded and he says here you're going to be blessed Makarios remember Makarios from the Beatitudes with that supernatural blessing of God I want to give you a little secret come close It's one of those secrets. Are you all listening? This is a secret. Ready? Don't do it for the reward. Don't do it out of duty. You know, people with duty? I'm going to church today because I have to. Please stay home. Stay home. Don't come to church. When you feel you have to do anything for God, I've said this, yeah, I have to teach Sunday school. I have to do music. Just, just stop doing it. Stop doing it. God don't need you. He don't. It is a privilege and an honor to serve God. Do it out of a heart of love. May the love of Christ compel you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 14 May the love of Christ compel you. Do it, do it out of love because when, when you love him, that love, man, it gets into your bones, it gets into your marrow, it gets into your nervous system and it just flows, it flows out. I'll give you something else too. Do it because it's what you are. Do it just because of it, it, it's what you are. It's, it's, about, it's about being, be. You know, people come, oh, I'm going to volunteer. God don't need volunteers. Go to the United Way. You volunteer for the United Way. Well, oh, I'm going to volunteer in the church. No, we don't need volunteers. You know what we need? We need ministers and servants. And that's about, that's about being. That's, that's about being a servant, not, not vo- <laughs> volunteering. Churches that have volunteers, they die. Churches that have servants, churches that have ministers, they thrive. It's, 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 about, it's about being. Be a humble servant. Because essentially, you know, a lot of people, they want to get. I want to get, I want to... And they're not getting because why? They don't do. But even those who are doing, they're still not getting. You know why? Because they're not being. Because doing always precedes getting and being precedes doing. Be a humble servant. And then you will serve with joy. It'll be it'll be effortless service, it'll be it'll be privileged service, and what you'll find is you'll get the reward and the rewards. Last point. The person of humility. Who could that be? Where do we need to look? Because his entire his entire life on this planet was one of humility. Think about, think about where he was born. In in Israel, you know, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. I would have thought it would have been a big nation maybe like the United States maybe a big nation like China or maybe like the Roman Empire like a big like in, you know in Rome but it's in Israel in Bethlehem in a stable I would have thought it would have been a, a palace and there's no throne there's a manger And there's no princes, there's shepherds. We talk about humility. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He who was rich became poor so that he could make us rich. Look at his baptism." Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Baptism is for sinners. Well, you understand what baptism is. It's essentially, it it means to identify. Baptismos means to identify. I teach this all of you who i have baptized here through the years, that he was identifying with sinners. He had no sin. He was God. But he identified with sinners. It was, again, his humility, fulfilling all righteousness. In Matthew 20, 28, He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, he came to serve. When he came into Jerusalem, he didn't come in on a white stallion, folks. He came in on a donkey in humility. At the Last Supper, right, he didn't stand up and say, hey, wash my feet. Though He deserved to have his feet washed by every one of them. Instead, he got down on his knees and he washed their feet. And in John chapter 10:15, "Even as the Father knows me and I know my the Father, and I lay down my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. His death is a death of humility." The Holy Spirit says to us in Romans 15:3, "For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, right? He didn't come to please himself." There's a great poem by an unknown author, One Solitary Life. Let me read it to you. He was born in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He then became an itinerant preacher. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He had no credentials but himself. 19 centuries, let me say 20 centuries from when this was written, have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned have not affected the life of man on this earth as one, one such as that one solitary life, or as much as this one solitary life. Isn't that true? Right? He is the person who came and humbled himself, who made himself poor so that we could be rich. He died for us so that we would never have to die an eternal death. He took the cross upon himself so that we could live forever. He became poor so that we could become rich. He took our hell upon himself so that we could have heaven. He took death upon himself so that we could have life, one solitary life. Is he your Savior? Have you opened your heart to him? Put your faith in him, your belief in him, as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior. Put your faith in him as the one who took your place on the cross and was raised from the dead? Have you taken Jesus into your life? It's the most important decision you will ever make. I pray that you would do that this morning, right now. Just ask Jesus to come into your life. Put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Put your faith in him as the one who died for you and was raised from the dead. And you'll receive the gift of eternal life. And receive him into your life, his life of humility. And become his servant. Amen. You can bow your heads. We'll close in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for this call. You see here in Mark 9, and we'll see it more next week. It's a call to be true, authentic disciples. Not to be church attenders, but to be true, authentic disciples. That's what this church has been called to do, to make disciples, Lord. That's been from the very beginning. Not to make Church people, or for that matter, even what is equated as Christianity today, but to make disciples, humble servants, humble servants who follow you, Lord, and who, Lord God, they, they live in that pattern, that, that principle, that promise, following that person. So, Father God, I just pray, Lord God, that as we just wrap up this service, have your way with us, do your thing, accomplish your purpose. For all of this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.